We continue today our sermon series entitled Confusing Bible Verses. And there's still time if you're interested in submitting verses that have confused you. And there are no verses off limits. You can text the number on the screen or you can just talk to me after church. Today's passage, or topic rather, was again a suggestion from one of you. And instead of looking at one particular verse today, we're looking at a broad spectrum of verses on the topic of forgiveness. It's kind of confusing what the Bible says about forgiveness sometimes because our life experience is complex. And sometimes we're unsure what exactly it means to forgive. But I remember when I was a boy, when I was a lad, a tad, I remember enjoying times with my sister. We got along pretty good often. And then there were times, mom, you'd probably agree, where we had our challenges as siblings. Can, can I get a witness? <laughs> I wasn't a perfect son. Um, my older sister, who should have known better at times, was not perfect either. And we had some challenges. And, but growing up in the wonderful, loving Christian home with an amazing mom and an amazing dad, we learned about the power and the importance of forgiveness. After you have a fight, it's important to make things right, to apologize for the things that you've done and ask for forgiveness. And I remember myself, I mean, I remember one person who sometimes would jump the gun on asking for forgiveness, and maybe my sister did this too. We knew the Bible clearly says you need to forgive the other person. And so sometimes when we really weren't quite ready for it, but knowing the importance, we would go to the other person and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But they clearly were not ready to make that step. Because forgiveness is a process. It's a journey. And usually, both of us were still on that journey and not ready to make that decision at that point. But if the decision to uh, accept the apology was delayed, if I would go to my sister and say, Jenny, will you forgive me for X, Y, Z? I'm sorry. And there was a pause or a delay in granting forgiveness, sometimes... And we didn't learn this from our parents. I don't know where we learned. But sometimes there would be a little phrase, oh, God won't forgive you. You don't forgive me. <laughs> Clearly not the helpful thing in that moment. Amen? That, for some reason, didn't elicit just this response and this gushing forgiveness and acceptance. Since that day, I have grown, and I've learned a lot about forgiveness. I've learned that it's complex, and for some of you just hearing the word of forgiveness, it might conjure up very painful and traumatic experiences in your life. And I'll admit from the outset I'm not an expert on this. This has probably been the most challenging subject so far because of the complexity that we find ourselves in sometimes. I will encourage you, wherever you are, if you haven't started this journey of forgiveness, or if you're some way along this path, I will just encourage you to listen today and ask God 
to open you and your heart to wherever God wants to lead you. There are a lot of good books that you can get on this topic. The one that I would recommend is called Forgive to Live. Forgive to Live, it's written by a guy, actually an Adventist man, but he combines the scientific reasoning for why forgiveness is so important. Um, and you can also take a course through the Hope Channel online. If you just Google Hope Channel, Forgive to Live, they have an interactive uh, experience that you can go through with video clips and with questions and responses. And I think it, you might find it to be very useful. This may be one of the most practical messages that you hear uh, in a while. So what does the Bible say about forgiveness? Before we get into that, I want to share with you seven observations from an author named Lisa Turkhurst. She wrote a book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. We've heard that phrase, oh, just forgive and forget, but that actually doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. And she wrote a very clever book title, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. And here are seven observations that I think you're going to resonate with. We'll put them on the screen here. Number one, she said forgiveness doesn't always fix relationships, but it does help mend the hurting heart. There may still be broken relationships even after forgiveness takes place. Forgiveness is both a decision, she says, and a process. And healing is what kind of journey? A long journey. Sometimes it's a very long journey. Forgiveness doesn't let the other person off the hook. It actually places them in God's hands. Forgiveness does not justify or excuse abuse ever. There are a lot of misunderstandings about that. That's not what forgiveness is about. There can and should be consequences for bad behavior. Forgiveness does not excuse that. Forgiveness is required by God, but reconciliation is optional. Okay? Reconciliation is the ideal, but that's not a requirement that God has. Two more points for you here. Forgiveness is, isn't an act of our determination. Forgiveness is only made possible by our cooperation with what Jesus has already done. This is one of the most important points that we'll make today. You on your own can't forgive. You need God's help. And Jesus has already done everything we need. Finally, forgiveness is not adding on top of our pain a misery too great to bear. It's exchanging our bound up resentment for life-giving freedom, thus making the mystery of the workings of God too great to deny. It's not adding a misery. It's exchanging your pain, exchanging your bitterness for something much better. You know, in my research this week, I learned that in certain Jewish teachings, they teach that if, for example, your family member was murdered, you cannot forgive the murder of your parent because you weren't the one who was killed. What you can forgive is how you felt and the consequences of that loss in your life. Similarly, you can't forgive your father for beating your mother. You can only forgive how sad, how alienated, and how scared it made you feel. Sometimes we forget and we don't realize 
that there are certain things we are not capable of forgiving. It's only how it has impacted us directly. Okay, so what does the Bible say about forgiveness? The first occurrence of the word forgive in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 50 in the story of Joseph. We won't turn there, but you can think of the story of Joseph in an amazing example of forgiveness and reconciliation. But I, I would like to suggest that the first act of forgiving occurs much earlier in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And again, we won't turn there, we'll just turn there in our minds, unless you wish to. Genesis chapter 3 is the story of the fall of Adam and Eve, and then God comes looking for them in the garden, they're hiding, and then God speaks with them, he speaks with the serpent. And what does God do in that moment in the garden? He gives them a promise. He gives them hope. He said, there is going to be, essentially, a Messiah who's going to come from your lineage, from your seed, and he is going to destroy the descendant, the, the acts of the devil, the devil himself. And then, also in that, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says God made them something. What did God make them? He made them clothes, because now they felt naked. And Al, what kind of, what were they clothes of, of leaves or what? It was from an animal. Yeah. Here we find the first death. You recall that God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely, what? Die. There's been much debate about what it means, what God meant when he said that, because Adam and Eve didn't physically die in that day, although their bodies started to die. But something did die. An animal or two or however many it took died at the hands of God in order to provide clothing for Adam and Eve. It's not explicit, but here implied in the text, I believe, is the first sacrifice on behalf of sinners. It took the death of those animals that Adam and Eve had named and and nurtured and seen for them to experience this first act of forgiveness. Something died so that they didn't have to. And then what happens? Then God ushers them out of the garden. So it's very interesting. The very first act of forgiveness still had consequences, didn't it? God didn't say, it's okay for you to stay here and eat from the tree of life. He said, no, you can't. Things have changed now. But I've provided forgiveness for you, and I've promised the ultimate solution through your descendants. So, very first act of forgiveness, we see that forgiveness may still involve consequences. You can forgive the thief that stole from you while still expecting justice. You can forgive the person who, who did those horrible things to you while still being thankful that they're locked up and put away. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. It simply means putting away your right to revenge and holding on to bitterness and entrusting that into God's hands. Forgiveness does not 
excuse or justify abuse or these kinds of things ever. So we're going to dive into a whirlwind tour of some Bible verses about forgiveness. I'll put them on the screen for your convenience. We'll get out our Bibles in a bit here. But we're going to see what Jesus had to say about forgiveness and what he didn't say about forgiveness. What we see very clearly, forgiveness is intricately connected to the forgiveness we've already received from God. And that's what allows and enables our forgiveness to be possible. Matthew 6, verse 12, this is in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts as we forgive whom? Our debtors. As we experience forgiveness of God, that helps us to extend what we've experienced to others. And I tell you what, if you haven't experienced forgiveness from God, it's because you have misunderstood what the Bible teaches about sin and your need of forgiveness. Because when you really think about it, how badly you have failed, it should make you eternally grateful for God's amazing grace and for his eternal, unconditional forgiveness. Matthew 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's not a salvation by forgiveness, but if you've been saved, you will have this understanding that you need to start this process of forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five. and wherever you stand praying, whenever you're standing praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. Forgiveness, lack of forgiveness, blocks our communication it puts a barrier in our, in our own hearts between us and God. And so Jesus said, go take care of it so that there isn't this impasse in your spiritual life. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, doing what? Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You've been forgiven, therefore extend it to someone else. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. The Greek word there for forgiveness is charizomai, from which we get the word, or charis, or grace, is the foundation of that forgiveness. The grace that we've received, we extend to one another. So we see very clearly, our forgiveness is connected to forgiving other people. Because we have been forgiven, we extend it to others. And we notice that forgiveness appears to be of an unconditional nature. Notice our next passage here, Matthew 18. Jesus said there, um, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? He thought he was being generous. Some of the rabbis taught three times was the max, based on a misunderstanding of the book of Amos. Up to three times, or up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, don't put a cap on it. Keep on forgiving. But again, this doesn't mean you have to stay in a situation where you're being hurt over and over again. This isn't saying don't have boundaries and healthy boundaries, right? Does that make sense? It's for your own good. Now, notice here in Luke, Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Who's he asking God to forgive? The people who are nailing him to the cross and keeping him up there and mocking him. And they certainly were not in a condition of repentance and asking for forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated this amazing and powerful forgiveness. And then a couple more verses here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love, what does it do? Doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. I think I put the wrong verse up there. Love keeps no record of wrongs is the verse I was supposed to have. Love doesn't tally up all the bad things that have been done against one. And finally, our, our last passage for, for now, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, notice that conditional statement. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, if you can do it and work it out on your side of things, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Forgiveness is trusting God to settle things ultimately. Not repaying evil for evil. And that doesn't mean not seeking justice. Because that can still happen and is very appropriate in many circumstances. But we see forgiveness it connects to our memory and our experience of having been forgiven by God and leads us to extend the same experience to others. And forgiveness doesn't have a cap on it. There's no limit at which we should say, okay, I will stop forgiving you. Because as we'll see, forgiveness is almost a selfish act because it's something that you need to do for your own benefit for your own healing, for your own mental health and peace. Whether or not that person even knows that they've been forgiven, it's something that you need to do for you to move on in your life. But then I got a little confused as I was reading because there's a verse, and we'll look this one up. Go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 17. Say, okay, we need to keep on forgiving. Forgiveness is unconditional and so forth. And then I got to Luke 17, verse 3, and I got confused. Luke 17, verse 3. By the way, Jesus says in verse 1, it's impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible to go through this life without being offended, without having bad things happen to you. And unfortunately, we're an imperfect group of people, and so these kinds of things happen in church. But notice what Jesus says there in verse 3. This one threw me for a loop for a while this week. It says, Take heed to yourselves, and if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And it was that little conditional statement, and if he repents, forgive him. And so we're left wondering, do we not have to forgive if they don't repent? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense because 
again, forgiveness is something that liberates my heart whether or not that person ever even knows about it. There are people who have died that have hurt you. They can never apologize to you. They can never change their behavior. That, that is gone. And so forgiveness is only something that would happen in your heart and only benefit you in that circumstance. You're giving them free rent in your mind, a place to stay if you don't forgive. So are, does it have to involve them repenting for us to forgive? Well, remember what we saw earlier, Jesus hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Were the soldiers and the high priests and, and the religious leaders, were they repenting in that moment? Therefore, Jesus was able to extend forgiveness to them? No. Or what about Stephen? Book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. Stephen, Stephen, uh, I tend to put a little V sound in there when it's actually a PH sound. But uh, in any case, that guy, Stephen, he is being stoned to death. And he looks up to heaven, he looks up to God, and he says, don't count this sin against them. Forgive them, God. Were they repenting in that moment? as they're throwing stones? Not at all. So how then do we understand Jesus' teaching here? Well, you know it's helpful, as we've talked about this, when you come to a passage that's a little confusing, try to find verses that are related or similar. And in the Gospels, we have the luxury of having parallel passages, passages that say almost the same thing, but say it a little bit differently. And in my Bible, it actually says, and this is another plug, if you need a Bible, Andrew's Study Bible, really good one. My Bible actually has in quotate or uh, curved brackets the parallel passages to this section, and you might have that in the center reference if you have that, your cross references. But the parallel passage is Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 on the subject of forgiveness is all about the proper process to go through when somebody has wronged you. And what's the process? Just briefly, I'll refresh your memory. If somebody wrongs you, step number one, talk to them directly about it. Don't tell other people, don't gossip, don't share what they did. Hey, they did it's such a bad thing to me. No, no, no. You go to them directly. You keep it as minimal as possible and you say, hey, when this happened, I felt this way and it, it really hurt me when this happened. Because they might not even know that they did something wrong. I've hurt people in the past without even realizing it. <laughs> but when you become aware of it, then you try and go take care of it. So you go and you approach the person. You try to work out the differences together. And if you can't do that, then you go get a couple people from the church, trusted people. Uh, and these are things that we can do today, in, in this day. Get an elder from the church. Uh, get a couple of... People, and the, again, the purpose is not to gossip and share. The, the purpose is to bring about forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance. And if that process fails, then ultimately the whole church may need to become involved. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5 about a guy that was doing all sorts of horrible and crazy things. And he, Paul rebuked them because they weren't going through this process. And then later on in 2 Corinthians, he had to 
get after the Corinthians again because they had gone through the process and this guy was unrepentant, so they kicked him out. And then he had repented, but they hadn't forgiven him. And so Paul says, hey, you don't want him to feel too bad. Go back and forgive him and, and love him again, essentially. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 7. So in Matthew 18, the parallel passage to Luke chapter 17, we find that there's really a different type of forgiveness going on. And it's what we might call judicial forgiveness. This is a corporate body that is seeking to help somebody who's living in open sin to repent and to return back to God again. And so if a church has to go through this process and repentance does not occur, then they don't forgive corporately as a body. Uh, they can still forgive personally and on an individual basis, but, but the church doesn't want someone feeling comfortable living in sin and that it's okay. So sometimes there has to be church discipline with the goal of discipleship and repentance. And so it appears as though in Luke 17, Jesus is talking about judicial forgiveness, this corporate uh, reinstating a member fully back into the body. And that's based upon their repentance. They're changing. They're turning away from their life of sin and coming back to their God and Savior. But individually, personally, the individual that they've wronged, sure, personal forgiveness can fully happen and should for the healing of, <clears throat> at the very least, the person who is doing the forgiveness. There are so many reasons to forgive. We, we've talked already about it can get in the way. If you're there trying to talk to God, but you realize you've been harboring this grudge against someone, that's going to affect your prayer life. It's going to affect you mentally, emotionally, socially. So God says, Jesus invites us, forgive that person. Start this journey and, and in the books that you may read, if you read the book Forgive to Live or some of the other books, you'll find that there are different stages. At first, forgiveness begins as a choice. There are no feelings necessarily attached. And eventually, feelings of forgiveness can come later on. And you can go back, uh, you can regress in forgiveness and, and then have to go through the process again. But it is a process. I found an interesting quote here from an old apocryphal source, and a non-biblical source, but it's an ancient Jewish or Christian writing called the Testament of Gad. And notice how it echoes some of the sentiment and the, the teachings that Jesus gave us. We'll put it up here on the screen. Love one another from the heart. Therefore, and if anyone sins against you, speak to him in peace. Expel the venom of what? Hatred is like venom in your heart. The ancient Jews, the ancient Christians understood forgiveness is expelling the venom that's inside of you. If anyone confesses and repents, forgive him. But even if he is devoid of shame and persists in his wickedness, forgive him from the heart and leave vengeance to God. Try to get them to repent. But even if they don't, go ahead and forgive them from your heart. Why do we forgive? We forgive so that it doesn't block our connection to God. We forgive because we've been forgiven of so much. And in response to that, how could we not extend it 
I'm reminded of the parable of the unjust steward who was forgiven this amazing debt, this huge debt, and then he wouldn't forgive the small little debt. And anything compared to the debt of salvation, the debt of breaking God's eternal law, getting us off the hook eternally, that's a debt bigger than any other debt we could imagine. And why else do we forgive? Well, let's turn to one last passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, 31 rather. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. More of an interesting observation uh, rather than a reason. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. We'll start, though, in verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let the Holy Spirit do its work in your life. And right after that, it says this, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, and with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And something that's interesting about this passage in the Greek, when it says, let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, it's in the passive voice, which means if I do something, um, that's an active thing. It would be in the active voice. But the passive voice is when something is done to you. And so what we see here is the taking away of those five things is something that happens to you, not something that you are able to do yourself. And who or what can do that? No one other than Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what enables forgiveness to be possible. So wherever you are in this journey, whether you're not even considering starting it, or whether you're far along and you have more journeys to go, the important part is staying open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. And if you're not willing, you can at least say, God, please help make me willing to be made willing. I'm, I'm at least hearing what you have to say, God. I have some deep-seated bitterness in my heart, and I can't even begin to think about forgiving, but, but God, I'm, I'm willing to let you make me be willing to start. And that's a start. And that's something in itself to be celebrated. But we need to let him do the work. Corrie Ten Boom was a woman who helped hide Jews from the Nazis during World War II. She was 47, lived with her sister and her father who was in his 80s. And eventually, they were caught. She was sent to a prison camp along with her father and her sister. Her dad, who was old, he, he didn't last long. He lasted like 10 days or something. She and her sister were there, horribly abused, horribly mistreated in that prison camp, as you can imagine. And one of the hardest things for her, her health was good, but watching her sister Betsy get weaker and weaker every single day, week after week. And eventually, her sister died an agonizing death. Thankfully, 
She had a strong faith which helped give her comfort in these horrible times. And eventually she was released, and eventually the war was over. And Corey set about going to different churches and buildings and groups and was talking about the love and forgiveness of Jesus and the forgiveness that he gives us to give to other people. But something unexpected unexpected happened to her, and I want to just read you her words that they'd be better than mine. She said this, It was at the church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center there. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room of mocking men, heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain, her blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had, so, had preached so often that people need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled in me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, please forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not even the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I breathed a silent prayer again. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to almost pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered, she writes, that it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. How do we forgive? We let our forgiving Savior into our lives day by day, and we let him help us step by step on this journey. I want to be willing. How about you? Again, some good resources. The book Forgive to Live. Hop on Google. Put in Hope Channel. Forgive to Live. This afternoon, you can start a process that will be instructive and liberating for you and for me. Let's ask Jesus into our hearts again. And help us. Lord, we are so grateful that you paid it all. You hung on that cross while we were still sinners and you died for us. Before those of us living today even had the chance to sin or to repent, you already were willing to die for us, to bear our guilt and to suffer that separation. 
You know our story. You know our hearts, Lord. And you, you know how challenging forgiveness can be. But Father, you know just the joy that you want to give us in our hearts and lives. The peace of releasing the bitterness and wrath and, and the grudges that we have held on to. So Father, in your way and your time, please help us along this journey. Teach us how to respond to your Spirit's promptings and give us greater joy as we follow you in this most important and meaningful step. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, ladies, we invite you uh, to take a rose as you leave today. And we invite you back next week. We'll have Sabbath school in person for kids and for adults and also on Zoom. And then outside at 11, we'll have our main church service brought to you by the Adventurer Club. Bring those chairs if you can. If not, we'll have a couple around for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.